Um, we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 13 to 21. Pray, pray for me. Look at what it says in Scripture. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. To join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to your word with expectation that you would speak to us. We want to hear your voice. Lord, speak to our hearts as only you can. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus, reveal him, transform us, and may we grow in our love and our affection for you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, you guessed it. Today, if you're part of our church, you know that we don't talk about money pretty much throughout the whole year. It's never like the core subject, core focus of a sermon. Uh, typically is done once a year, and it's strategically done during this time of year called Extending Hope. And it does not fail every single time I prepare to talk about money. That Sunday, we have a number of visitors, the first time in the church. And I know what you're thinking. Of course, the first time I come to church, they're talking about money. Um, and I know there's a lot of stigma, a lot of baggage. But I want you to know, if you don't know us, if you know us, you know this is our norm, our posture. We here at Hope Astoria care way more about you than your money. However, we care enough about you to not withhold what Jesus says about money. And so it's a caring, loving thing to speak about what Jesus speaks about and to not withhold what he says, even if it's difficult to hear. And I want to say that today, wherever you find yourself on both sides of the aisle with respect to money, if you have an abundance of it or if you are struggling to get more of it, Jesus has a lot to say to each of us today. So let's get into the text because there is something here that's worth pausing and listening to. In the beginning, you see, in this text, we begin to unpack this idea of the importance of money because what's happening here, it says that a man approaches Jesus and he's approaching him about a personal injustice. He's coming to Jesus and saying, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so why is he telling Jesus this? Because what we could connote from this text and from the assumptions that we could reasonably read into is that more than likely his brother was withholding a certain portion of the inheritance from him. And this is what is interesting, what transpires. He calls Jesus rabbi, specifically. 
And that's an, that's an important detail because if you may not know, rabbis in that time were not just people that taught the law or taught the Mosaic law. They actually were often involved in settling disputes. And so this man is imploring Jesus. He's saying, settle this dispute for me. I'm having this tension with my brother, and I want you to come in down and tell him to divide the inheritance evenly. And here's where it gets interesting. Why would he have come to Jesus because of that? One, again, because rabbis did this, and so he's assuming, Jesus, you're going to do what rabbis do, and you are going to adjudicate the situation. You're going to come down and make a decision, and I'm asking you to make a decision that would be favorable for me. But more than likely, he's coming to Jesus so bluntly and saying, decide on this financial matter, because if he has been listening to Jesus speak, or if he's been hearing what people say that Jesus speaks about, he would have an informed understanding that Jesus actually spoke quite a bit about money. Actually, if you look at his parables, 11 out of the 39 parables, about 30% of all of Jesus' teaching, talked about money directly or used money to communicate a spiritual principle. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than sex, hell, heaven, prayer, forgiveness. So this man is coming to Jesus saying, you have talked about this quite a bit. You have shared about this. I know you have an opinion on this matter. And he's coming to him as a rabbi saying, decide for me. And then Jesus tells him, no. Jesus tells this man, no, I won't make a decision on this issue. I won't decide with you. And at this moment, everything is starting to come to the surface. Because if you really want to know why Jesus spoke so much about money and why this moment is such a key moment to pause and really consider what Jesus is saying is because money is probably one of the greatest revealers of the state of our heart. For us as followers of Jesus, we often look to our theology, our statements of faith, our spiritual practices, those are the health meters. We say, I'm a healthy Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus because I pray, I read the Bible, I do all these things, kind of like the dashboard of our health. But actually, one of the most critical dashboards that we need to look at, and it's why Jesus spoke so much about money, is because how we relate to money and how it grips our hearts and what it does to our souls is one of the greatest indicators of our spiritual health. And why Jesus responds in this way, and he tells this man no, and what he says after that is because he's trying to address something that is subtle. It goes under the radar. It's, it's very sneaky. And that is the blinding power of money. Look at what Jesus' response to this man. Verse 14. He says, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? It's a funny, funny response, given the fact that this is an injustice. And you would want, one would say, but Jesus, you are always concerned with injustices. How come you're kind of taking a step back? How come you're saying, I'm not going to engage in this situation? 
Jesus, you're going to judge the world, and you don't want to judge in this situation. You don't want to offer your opinion and actually hopefully rectify this really jacked-up situation. My brother is stealing my inheritance, and he's coming to Jesus with an injustice. And yet Jesus says no. He doesn't get involved. He refuses to do so. Why? Because this man's reaction after he hears no will be the ultimate revealing of his heart. If you want to know where your heart really is with respect to anything, let God tell you no. Let God tell you no for something that you've been praying about, pursuing, intentional, demanding, assured of. The thing that you're coming to God, not with open hands saying, I want your will, but the thing you're coming to God saying, this, I want you to bless this no matter what, and let God say no and watch what comes up in our hearts. At that moment, what comes up in our hearts, we begin to realize that the reason he's saying no is often because we have an unhealthy attachment to the outcome we're asking him for. In essence, he's saying no because what we don't realize is that we can't live without the thing we're asking him for. And he's saying, I will not allow you to live an idolatrous life. I'm going to say no for the sake of your heart. But he doesn't just say no to just reveal this man's heart. He says no with a story. I love that about Jesus. He, he reminds me very much of my uncles. They never just said no or yes. They gave a story. They, 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 and so he, Jesus says, watch out, verse 15. Be on your guard against all greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And then in verse 16, he begins to tell them, this story. See, Jesus could see that this man's inheritance was more than an inheritance. It was his life. This man couldn't think of his life being full apart from having a portion of that inheritance. Whether it was right or wrong, at the end of the day, this man couldn't see his life apart from actually grabbing hold of that Inheritance. So he comes to Jesus with this crazy desperation because ultimately he believed that his life could only be full if he had the thing that he was asking Jesus for. You see, this inheritance wasn't just a, a side thing to him, a peripheral thing in his life. It was the centerpiece of his life. And so Jesus says no. He pushes back on this man and he says no. Because ultimately what Jesus refuses to be, he refuses to be on the periphery of our life. Jesus refuses to be a secondary or tertiary option of affection and devotion in our life. Especially he refuses to concede his throne in our hearts to money and to the pursuit of it. And to the unhealthy ties that we allow to form where our identity is pegged to the abundance or the lack thereof. Jesus refuses for that to be the driving thing in our life. And so he says no to this man. And he often says no to us. But it doesn't just stop there. Notice in verse 15 he's saying, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist 
in an abundance of possessions. And so before he unpacks these, the, 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 what he's trying to say in the form of a parable, and he goes into this parable, notice what he's saying to be aware of. Notice what he's saying to be on guard for. And notice what he's not saying. He doesn't say, watch out for adultery. Watch out for stealing. Watch out for lying. Watch out for not resting well. Why didn't he say watch out for those things? Watch out for murder. Because those things are less bad? No, he didn't mention those things because those things are not hidden. Those things happen in our life in a visible, clear way. But greed and the preoccupation with money as the source of our identity, this happens subtly. It sneaks in. And all of a sudden we wake up one day and we don't know who we are apart from our relationship to money. But look what else is said here, verses 17 and 18. What, he begins to tell this story. He says, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Verse 17, verse 17 he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. So notice Jesus is speaking about, as he's addressing this man's request, and he gives him this story, the story is, unve is unraveling and revealing what's actually happening in his heart. And he begins to tell a story about a farmer that was focused and obsessed with the, an exaggerated accumulation of resources and wealth. See, the farmer had plenty, but what does he do? In response to him having plenty, he builds even bigger barns in order to store more unto himself. What happens, what, what Jesus is addressing through the story of the farmer and what's speaking to this man that's coming to Jesus asking for justice and what speaks to us even now is the tendency to accumulate without contentment. The tendency to want more, to accumulate more, to set aside more and never reaching a place of contentment. They once famously asked Rockefeller, he had so much money. He had money coming out of his nose, as they say. It's just everywhere. He, had, he could have spent excesses of it every single day for the rest of his life, never would have reached the bottom of it. And they asked him, you're still working hard. It seems like you want more money. How much is more? How, how much more do you need? And he said, just a little more. Just a li he had everything. He had as much as you could possibly need or ever want. Just a little more. The tendency to accumulate without contentment, Jesus is addressing it. When you consider the ratio between what we have, what we spend for ourselves, what we give in generosity, this is something Jesus wants to address. Why? Because if you want to know what Christian spirituality is measured by, it's measured in relation to finances and money. It's measured by contentment. Look at what 1 Timothy 6, 8 and 9 says. 
And if we have what to eat and what to cover ourselves with, we will be content with that. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and in perdition. It's not the pursuit of wealth in and of itself that is an evil, wrong thing. It's the pursuit of it absent of contentment. It's pursuing it as the goal, not as a means to do things that could benefit the world and benefit others. It's pursuing it in order to bolster our identity. It's pursuing it because we don't know who we are apart from it. Yet, the biblical vision for us is one of contentment. For us to be content, if we have more beyond our ability to eat and cover ourselves, will we be content with that? And Jesus, is through this parable, is addressing the state of the heart that is not content. And this man, even though he was crying out for justice, Jesus is speaking to the fact that even if I give you the verdict you want, you still won't be content. You'll still want more. You're like this guy in the story that if left to yourself, if I don't intervene, you'll just build bigger barns and store more for yourself. Now, this is the moment in the sermon where we make a turn because if you're here and you are not wealthy and you don't have a lot, you feel really good about yourself because you're like, get them, Jesus. Go get those rich people. Get them. Go. They need, oh, man, I wish some more rich people were in the room. You're already thinking through your Rolodex. I know who I'm going to send this sermon to. Oh, yeah, the friend works for a hedge fund. I'm definitely sending him this. Because we think this disease only affects one side. We think it only affects the haves, but it actually just as much affects the have-nots. Because I want to encourage you later today, go on your own, Luke chapter 12, and read verses 22 and onward, because in those verses, look at what Jesus says. This is, that is why I tell you not to worry about your life, what you will eat, nor by your body what you will wear, because life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And so here's how those that are the have-nots can be equally infected by this disease with relation to money, is that for us that are on the have-not side, we tend to worry about money in such a way that our worries reveal that what we ultimately believe, if we just had more of it, our lives would be whole. And because we don't have more of it, our lives are incomplete. And so the way we suffer from this sickness is through worry, by being eager. And so in case any of us think we don't have the problem of the rich man in the story because we don't have money, the other side of the same disease is just as awful. Worry and being eager. You see, the rich man feels safe because he has the money. And that's what makes him secure. Whereas the poor feel insecure because they don't have it. But at the end of the day, it's the same money sickness. It's the same blindness just from a different angle. 
See, because when you don't have it, what do we tend to do? We tend to overwork. We tend to put ourselves in a situation of debt because we want to keep up with appearances. We want to appear to others like we have it. Or we don't want to face the fact that we don't have it. Often, when we make purchases using debt, it's a, it's a form of denial of our current situation. I want to deny the fact that I actually legitimately from my budget can't afford this, so I want to enter into a fantasy realm where I can afford this through a credit card, even though I don't have the money, all because I don't want to face the fact that I don't have it. So what do we do? We overwork, we get into debt, we buy more than we have to at times, and we do all of that while never having enough time for our family, for church. But look at where both rich and poor can be infected by this disease. Because look at what verse 19 says. And I'll say to myself, this is the, the rich farmer in the story, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And if we're honest, that is the heart's desire for both rich and poor. We want to rest, eat, drink, have fun. We want money to provide us a sense of safety, rest, confidence. Because what our hearts are really saying, when I have money, I feel secure. When I don't have it, I feel insecure, anxious, worried. And this is why Jesus talks about money so much, because it's blinding power. It's subtle. It gives us the feeling of security, confidence, rest. If you have lots of money, if you have great resources, the worst thing you could do is to let that be the source of your confidence and your identity. And if you don't have money, the worst thing you could do is making the pursuit of money the be-all, end-all. is like, once I get it, I'll finally have what I'm missing. Power is blinding. It's illusory. Because it gives us the feeling of security, confidence, rest. But it ultimately can't deliver that. Have you noticed the way TV program, back in the day, when there was actual TV programming, <laughs> where you had to sit in front of a TV and you couldn't choose what you were going to watch it, where they would actually curate content based on the hours. You ever notice the later it got, the more desperate the advertisements were? They, they specifically created advertisements for people that they thought, who might be awake right now, anxious, looking for a way out, looking for a solution, like a Hail Mary pass, and to those people, what would they do? They would curate ads that were all get-rich-quick schemes, all these things, because they were playing on that sense of, right now, if you're feeling desperate and you feel like money is the only thing that can pull you out of this hole, let me give you an easy way out. But Jesus addresses this because of what the true 
this, truce, this, this sickness, what it truly does to our hearts. It doesn't just mess up our identity. It doesn't just steal our peace. It doesn't just interfere with our relationships. It actually does something even worse than that. It messes up the way we relate to God. It creates what we'll call spiritual stinginess. Look at what verse 21 says. After Jesus gives this parable and all these warnings, verse 21, it says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Is not rich toward God. The problem is not whether you're rich or whether you're poor. The problem is, are you rich toward God or are you not? I know rich people that are very rich toward God. I know rich people that are very poor toward God. I know poor people that are very rich toward God. I know poor people that are very poor toward God. Jesus is addressing the real heart of the matter here. Why he talks about money is because he knows if it isn't addressed, you'll find yourself in this money sickness where greed, the desire for more, the obsession with money will blind us and it causes us to not be able to be rich toward God. The fact that money is such an awkward, difficult conversation for Jesus to have with us should alert us to the seriousness of it. The fact that he can't go there easily with us should let us know that perhaps this is becoming an idolatrous thing in my life where I can't live without it. I don't understand life without it. It has to be at the center of my life. The fact that Jesus could talk about other things that should be equally explosive, but when it comes to money, people get really tense, should let us know how deep this spiritual stinginess and not being rich toward God goes. If we have an inability to be generous with our money, if Jesus can't tell you to freely give your money, if he has no access to that decision-making process in your life, if there's just like a steel door when it comes to that, Jesus, tell me anything else, but you, we're not comfortable yet. You can't tell me what to do with my money, then spiritual stinginess is at work. Because if Jesus can't just stroke your heart and evoke generosity in you and I, then our hearts are not healthy yet. If he can't direct us to do what he wants us to do with money, then we may be sick with spiritual stinginess. Because to be rich toward God means that we freely use our money for the things that matter to him more than the things that we temporally want it for. To be rich toward God means that we give to things that last forever. His reign, his mission, his word being spread and communicated to people that are in need where we want to bless and serve and lift people up that are in crisis or just need some resources to get by. If that, doesn't, if that isn't natural for us yet, then, then we might be suffering from spiritual stinginess. We might be in a situation where we're not rich toward God. Let me ask you this question. 
Do you find yourself so anxious about money that you can't give it generously? Think about that. Pray about that. Sit with that, with Jesus. Do you struggle to give your money generously? Because if there's a struggle, then maybe there's spiritual stinginess. Maybe there's this sickness. You know, C.S. Lewis once instructed, give until it hurts. Why did he do that? Because he, he understood that until we give until it hurts, we still may, you can give in a way that still doesn't touch the sickness. You, it, when we're giving um, and it, it doesn't hurt, it doesn't cost us something, it doesn't require any wrestling with God, then the sickness still might be at work. It still might like drive us and impact us. I'll be honest, every year, extending hope, I look forward to it, and then once it's here, I'm like, what did I do to myself? Like, I could have led the church in any other way during this time. Why do I do this to myself? I'm just being honest. Why do I put it at the forefront for several weeks to force me to pray to Jesus about my resources and what he wants me to do? Why do I do this? Because it's painful. It's difficult. I have to wrestle with stuff. I have to ask do I, what do I really, really want? Do I want these comforts? Do I want this? Or do I really want to just listen to him and do what he says? Ask yourself, is it difficult for you to give even the bare minimum that God demands is a sign that you recognize his lordship in your life? You know why we practice tithing as a church? Because it's, as far as we can see in Scripture, it's the bare minimum that God demands as a sign that we recognize his lordship in our life. But if you struggle with that, ask ourselves why. Could it be spiritual sickness? Perhaps right now you're, you might be wondering... Chris, I think, I, think I'm, I think I'm sick. I think I have this problem. I think money sickness is, is in me. You describe certain things and it's painful, it's awkward. I think I'm there. I actually have bad news for you. It's actually worse than you think. <laughs> this sickness is worse than you think. That's why Jesus says... Be alert. Be attentive. Because this thing is powerful. But here's the good news. Our God can heal us. Our God can set us free. And he can shake this out of us. But how do we heal? Here's the good news. The first thing in order to be rich toward God, that's what Jesus says, is the problem. When money grips you, it hinders your ability to be rich toward God, to be generous, to be free with your money, for him to direct you as he wills. The first step to be rich toward God is actually not to give. The first step to be rich toward God is to receive the riches of his grace toward you and I. That's the first step. 
The first step to be healed of this is to experience the inner riches that only the grace of God can give. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, Because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, the truth is, you and I will never be free from the control of money until you and I see the treasure that God gave to redeem you and I. Until we are gripped by the immensity of the grace of God that was necessary to redeem us and see the infinite value, the immeasurable wealth that was displayed on the cross, then money will keep gripping us. Money will seem way more valuable than it is until we see how unvaluable it is in comparison to the riches of God's grace that were demonstrated on the cross to redeem us and set us free. Take the greatest bank accounts, the greatest amounts of wealth in the world, stack them on top of each other from history's beginning till now, and it pales in comparison to the infinite wealth that was displayed through the sacrifice of Jesus. And that was done for you and for me. You realize we go through our life feeling so badly about ourselves and, and letting the rejection and the things that people say wound us infinitely, yet every single moment of our existence, our Redeemer, our Creator, our God says, you are of infinite value. You are worth more than you could ever imagine. And until we see that, until we know it, until we taste it, money will still be appealing. It'll still trick us and deceive us. You see, what happens and what Jesus is trying to set us free from is the fact that we let money take God's place. We let money become our God and we let that be the center of our life. And what happens when you do that? You are either living as a hoarder or you're living constantly anxious. When money is your God, you're either living to hoard or you're constantly anxious of losing it. But what happens at the cross? God took our place. He took what you and I deserve. And when you and I become convinced of how precious we are to him, Money, only then will money become simply money. Money will remain a God to us until the love of Jesus becomes the anchor in our life. The be-all, end-all. The thing that we hold as infinitely valuable. So what is God saying to us for people that need to heal from this disease the good news is it isn't just, you don't heal from this disease not by looking at rules or trying to follow them. You don't heal from this disease by just giving to the poor or tithing. You heal from this disease by looking at him. By looking at him, the one who died for you and me, who, who communicated the sense of infinite worth that we carry in his heart. When that happens then we're able to apply the personal disciplines that we need to in order for Jesus to be Lord over this area of our life. See, many Christians, what they try to do 
is they'll develop a, a budget, they'll begin to tithe, they'll try to do kind of these external things without letting the heart get fixed. Until you find Jesus as infinitely more valuable than your money, then doing all these other things are just band-aids. But when you do find Jesus as infinitely valuable and actually money begins to lose its power, then when you have a budget, when you tithe, something powerful begins to take shape because now money is in its proper place and now you're actually able to steward it the way God would want us to. It's no longer our master, but we use it as a servant, a tool for his kingdom. I love being a part of a community of God's people where by our life together we can check ourselves and be a reflection to one another that makes us pause and think, am I letting money sickness get a hold of me? Am I living just for comfort, for pleasure? Is money the source of my identity? Or is Jesus? Matthew 6, Jesus says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for your, for your Father has decided to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make yourselves bags that do not deteriorate, a treasure in heaven that does not deplete, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is there will also be your heart. Jesus wants to set us free from money being our God, from money being the source of our identity, where we either hoard it and we can't be generous or we live anxious, always worried that we're going to lose it. And he wants money to take its proper place to not hold infinite value in our souls as we become healed from its binding power over us when we see the infinite value of Jesus dying for us, his grace, his love being the greatest treasure in our life at that moment, money, we, we become free of its power. And now we can listen to what God would tell us to do. I want to read this quote from Roman Emperor in 125 AD. This is how he was described Christians, and he defended them as all these persecutions were coming against Christians. He defended them because this is what he said. They live in all humility and meekness. And in them there is no lie. They love one another and do not despise the widows or the orphan. And the one who has gives without envy to the one who does not have. As soon as they see a foreigner, they bring him into their own homes and rejoice with, with him as if they were a true brother. And if there is someone among them who is poor or needy and they do not have an abundance of means... They fast for two or three days to satisfy the lack of necessary sustenance in the needy. This was the first followers of Jesus being described by this in this way by a government in Rome that sought to annihilate them. They were recognizing these people live differently. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, what we just described is impossible to become a reality in our lives until we experience the liberating grace of God. And this extending hope season, as the worship team comes forward, 
I want to invite every single one of you to do one simple thing. Use extending hope as an opportunity to talk to God about your money. Extending hope is bigger than extending hope. Yes, it's the goal. We're trying to raise $40,000 to give to these incredible missional causes. And we're excited about that. And every year we get incredible joy in being able to partner with people that are doing incredible work throughout our city and throughout the world. And I want you to enter into that joy every single time when we reach that goal. Actually, every year we've exceeded the goal. It is an absolute joy to be able to know that God is using our lives for something bigger than us. But even bigger than that, use extending hope to have a crucial conversation with God about your money. Because if, if you have money sickness, let him free you. Start talking to him about whether you're anxious to get more of it or you're anxious to lose it. Let him free you by showing you the infinite value and worth that you hold in his eyes. I tell you, money is a terrible God, but it's an incredible tool in the hands of God when his people are freed from his grips. As the great theologian Puff Daddy said, more money, more problems. And the truth is, the more money you have, it will be more of a problem in your life unless you have more of the gospel in your heart. But when you're free, you know what I'm praying? I'm praying that people in our church become so free from money being their Lord. And then I'm praying that those same people would become so wealthy that we could change poverty in our lifetime. Could you believe that with me? Why can't God do it in New York? Why can't God do it through our church and through churches like ours? We could be so free of money's gripping power and we could be used of him to do incredible things. Use extending hope to have this conversation with God. Ask him what he wants you to do. And if he doesn't want you to do anything, don't do it. Only do what he tells you to do. But more importantly, have the conversation. Could we stand to our feet? As we begin to worship and turn our hearts to God, this time the prayer team is going to be in the back to my left and your right. And they would love to pray with you about anything that you may be carrying today. Whether it's something that the message is stirred or something that has nothing to do with the message. You know, last week, after the first service, there were three people that experienced physical healing right there, right before the service ended. God's been doing some amazing things the last couple weeks. The Spirit is powerfully at work. I want to encourage you, do not leave here with a need of prayer without receiving some ministry. The Holy Spirit is here. Let's turn to God. Let's worship Him. Could I invite you to raise your hands? Could we seek God together just for these next few moments? Jesus, as we turn our hearts to you, would you break the binding power of money sickness over us? Set us free. Let money no longer be our God or be the center of our life. And free us, Jesus, as only you can. Let's worship.